welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Welcome, adventurous episode 96 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. This is just Patrick. Hey, King Scott here. And this is your ignorant slut, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, Explorer Josh, it's good to have you back. How you been, buddy? Doing great, actually. You know, I started a new job. It's challenging me. I, I like the fast pace. I'm back in the kitchen again, working in a fine dining restaurant, actually. Nice. So all the ups and downs of that have been pretty great working with chefs who our egos are bigger than their than their heads and stuff like that but having <laughs> sure like, having, it's good times so been playing a lot more games too so it's been it's been awesome i'm happy to hear that and how are you guys doing well i've been doing well here i haven't been on the road for a little while so it's given me a chance to get some games in kind of clean things up around the house stain our deck again uh for the summer so it's been nice, and the weather's been really holding out here, so it's uh, it's been working out pretty well, so I'm quite happy right now. What about you, Patrick? Uh, we have had some good weather. I've had a chance to get outside and do uh, do some jogging around. I'm going to be running a, what, a half marathon, the Path of the Flood in Johnstown. Looking forward to it. I, uh, boy, I tell you what, a couple months ago, I was like, oh, I'm starting to get out of shape. I was getting up there, and I was like, every day I'm eating garbage. <laughs> and my physical activity was uh, basically non-existent. So uh, fortunately, I'm able to motivate myself reasonably well, or at least long enough to be able to do something and, uh, and, and doing well with that. So, you know, keeping busy, which, uh, you know, you got to keep your body moving when your main hobby is something that involves sitting down for hours at a time. Oh my, yes, yes. Yeah, I've been doing that too recently. I actually got into uh, jujitsu at a local gym here in the little, my little hometown. And it's, it's like in the back of my parents' restaurant and I have been enjoying it immensely. I, I enjoy exercise where i get beat up and then i get to beat other people up as well it's, it's Wait, a good so there's feeling. like ninjas going on in the back of a restaurant oh yeah like you got barbecue up front where <laughs> you know all the goodness happens and then you, in the back you have a bunch of like guys and gals rolling around putting each other in chokeholds i come oh, home beat up man like i have like a pulled i think i pulled my back last week because i couldn't oh. sleep well these past three days and it feels great it feels great <laughs> All right, all right, guys. Let's jump right into it. Scott, I was talking with Stephen from Brown Castle Games Adventures. You've heard the commercial. You know, oh, they got the best stuff, and I'm telling you what they do. And if you didn't believe it, how about this? Brown Castle Games is running like all of the Crokinole events at Origins this year. How about Shut that? Up, really? Yeah, no kidding. Mm-hmm. Oh, that couldn't have happened to a, a greater bunch. I mean, not only do they give a great product, not only do they teach you how to play, not only do they have different ways to play Crokinole. They're just super nice people too. That is awesome. Yeah, I was uh, chatting with him earlier. He said they got their vendor booth. They're going to have 16 tables in the play area for running a Crokinole tournament Wednesday through Sunday. They're going to have tournaments going. There's going to be single limb qualifier tournaments for both singles and doubles. Uh, man, they just, they're moving on up. He's going to have uh, Crokinole Imperium and uh, Crokinole cards as mm-hmm. well. Uh, all their boards are going to be available for sale at a discount too. So if somebody oh, sees wow. one that they want, like all the ones that they're playing with, the the, the in 
right, like in right. the tournament boards. Anytime he does an event, they usually sell those at a, at a slight discount at the end. Yeah. Don't forget, you always got our our promo code here at Level Up. Yeah. Yourself five percent off in those Brown Castle games, Crokinole boards, and accessories. Which uh, you know they don't give us a kickback on that. that that's what we no. don't get like a penny for. No, nothing. Just stay up. Hey. Thank you, from Stephen. And like I said, it's just because they're such nice people. They that is. I could not be happier for somebody. I mean, that is really fantastic. Clank is coming to digital. One of my favorites. One of my personal favorites. I'm telling you what, King. So far, the uh, the recommendations for what are we going to have King Scott play for a legacy game? Uh, I think it was Alex giving. He's like, get him to play uh, Clank Legacy, but it might ruin Legacy for him. And I said, well, maybe we'll hold off until Clank Legacy (laughs) 2. But Clank Digital, you'll be able to play it on your phone now. I, I'll give it a try. Legacy, I mean, I'm sorry, not Legacy, uh, Clank. I, I can see the fun in it, but it's never been something that just totally like like floated my boat or tickled my pickle, whatever you want to say here. Buttered it's just bread. one of those things that it's just like, it's a cool game, but eh, I'll play something else. Oh, you're insane. I love that one. Josh, I, I introduced you to this one at PAX. It's like one of the only deck builders I like. There you go. It's now that's a few and far between because I'm extremely critical of deck builders because I just haven't had good experiences with them. I love Clank. Oh, there you go. So you're wrong, Scott. Okay, okay. <laughs> I can accept whenever I'm wrong. Struck it, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, I tell you what, you will be so proud of me. I bought myself some paintbrushes. I got myself some glue for little miniatures. Mm-hmm. I got myself a bunch of paints and I am doing some miniatures painting. I'm sitting in my basement. I'm like, Ooh, yeah, okay. I can see where uh, Scott's getting a fan. Uh, why Scott likes this so much. Yeah. I, I don't think my wife loves it, but uh been painting minis for uh, for kingdom death monster. I got a hold of a copy and I was like, well, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And I, at the rate I'm going, we'll be playing it in a few years. Well, I, I... <laughs> <laughs> sorry. The thing I like, though, about that is that kind of gives light to uh, a fire into my behind there. I feel I need to get busy and start painting something. So we need to get like you have X number of minis you need to paint. I have X numbers of minis to paint in a certain amount of time. And then we can take pictures and put them up and let the adventurers pick on who did a better job. Can Mm. I propose something here, too? Sure. Let's yeah. if, we're, if, we're, if we're if we're picking miniatures and stuff like that, let's how about each of us just get a box of BattleTech minis? I don't know if you guys have played <laughs> BattleTech before. It's amazing. No, really? never, like, uh, Scott's I, never heard of it. I, Do you I, listen to the show, bro? Of course, I, I know Scott does. I was trying to you to even Patrick. level up. <laughs> I know Scott does. I'm trying to be nice to Patrick here. <laughs> you know what? I haven't. Uh, I got a starter box to humor Scott, and I'm waiting for him to teach me. Uh, but I have not yet played. Okay. okay. I, yeah, let's make a goal here. I have a box of uh, interior mechs that I need to have painted too. Let's set a goal for like, let's say, packs of this year. We get these miniatures painted and we have a little skirmish at packs for like, we have like a one hour skirmish at packs. What do you guys think? Okay. This? I will pick out what ones we're all going to paint because uh, I have some of them that I started on. So we'll figure out what ones we're going to paint. So we all have the same ones. Mm-hmm. And if they aren't there, I mean, I'll I'll figure out. I'll I'll get the minis for you. I'll send them out to you. Whatever you need. Yeah, I like that. I like that idea very very much. You will feel the wrath of my 
I, I mean, I'm, I'm a big into melee, so I'm gonna make sure I at least have one guy with an axe there. Because I mean, nothing's cooler than a bunch of like little. I mean, think of BattleTech. You just have a giant <laughs> axe and you're smashing people. That's like well, yeah, that's Hatchetman the best feeling. Yes, Hatchetman. That's like I, yeah. I would if I could, I would just have a bunch of Hatchetmen in uh, as an army, uh, just like trotting forth. That'd be mine's so always the locust. I always want my locust running around, just causing an absolute chaos on the field. That's my those, favorite. There, those things are such pricks. Yes, they are. <laughs> Okay, I want a locust too. Don't let Josh have one. It's been like, it's like trying to swat a fly. I'm just like going around swinging my axe. You're like, wee! Exactly. All, <laughs> all right, okay, boys. All this done. fun we're having. I don't mean to. I don't mean to uh, put a damper on it, but there are some things that we do have to to address. First one I wanted to bring up, and, and we talked about this before: the six siege mess. All the crap mm. that they're kickstarted. That's uh, that's from Mythic Games. So, adventures. Uh, some of you, unfortunately, are aware of this. Maybe have firsthand experience. But uh, what happened is Six Siege is a game that Mythic put on Kickstarter, and it raised all this money, over a million dollars, if I'm not mistaken. Now, here we are. It's late. They're but they're behind eight ball, and they say, okay, look, we need more money. All right. Now, we ha- we've heard this before, and it's happened with other games before, and, and you know, no one loves that, but we all kind of get it, right? Mm-hmm. If you backed, say, the $250 level, what's a reasonable amount of more money in order to get your game? <sighs> I mean... To me, it depends on how much you actually want the game. I don't mean for you, like uh, from an outsider looking in. I mean, the, the obvious answer is uh, zero. You gave them what oh, they wanted. Yeah. But I mean, okay, if well, they yeah. have to do it, what do you think is like, you know what? I can live with that. <sighs> 60 bucks. That's I'm going to say outside looking at 60 bucks. Yeah, I was going to say okay. around 50. 129. <sighs> you have already paid for the game. You've already paid for the shipping. And now uh, now for that level, that's the one that I'm aware of. The, the 250 level is 129. The $100 level we'll say is like another 60 or something like that. But it's it's the the proportion, the percentage of what they're asking for extra is astronomical. Six Siege has actually fallen into the bottom 100 games on Board Game Geek because people are Basically, rating is bombing it because the, uh, the the practice of the company to have done this. And actually, uh, Scott, we had a, one of our friends, Tim, that plays at the shop. He was asking me, you know, mm-hmm. what do I do? And I thought, you know what? I, I Fortunately, I'm not in – I don't have this conundrum. So, you know, it's easy for me to speculate on what I would do. But what I said to Tim, and if you adventure in the same position, here's what I would – here's how I would look at it. What's the worst feeling? Paying the extra 129 and not getting anything. Okay. Imagine that. That's a crappy right. feeling. Or not paying the extra 129, being out the 250, and the people that paid actually get their game, and you potentially miss out on a game that you at some point really, really wanted. Oh, what a mess. I would say it would be better to not pay it and other people get it. Because if it got to that point where I had the conundrum of whether to pay it or not, mm-hmm. it's a point there that I'm not that invested in that game anymore. Yeah, I'm kind of with Scott. It's it's a sunk cost at that point, and I could buy other games that are available right now for that. Yeah, I would rather. I would I would take the loss on the two fifty. Let people get it. Let them be happy. That's fine, but. If I put extra in there and I'm not going to get it, then I feel like I'm just like an enabler that just, I don't know what you want to say here, gave a, uh, a person on the street with a heroin needle in their arm 50 bucks to go get something to eat. And I know they're going to still just go out and get more drugs. 
So mm-hmm. it's just one of those things where I feel like I'm just throwing the money into a fire to help them. I don't know what you want to say, really. It, it's just one of those things where I would rather throw it in my bonfire back in the backyard so I have a few <laughs> little colored sparks or something instead of me giving it to them. And I know I'm not going to get anything. Yeah, it's well, like it, paying for it's like paying for drinks on the Titanic as you're yeah as you're on the boat. Like you know it's sinking. Like Mythic Games, I predict they're not going to be around much longer just because of all the stuff that's been happening to them. Not that I want them to crash and burn. It's just kind of what I'm seeing. It's what's the point of giving them more money? Well, they can't possibly they have, have another success mind for Monster Monster Apocalypse. So, oh uh, yeah, yeah, they have other ones that they that are like in the weeds waiting to, uh, to, to get out there. They yep. can't possibly have another Kickstarter that funds. Can they? I don't think so. I think that they've probably have burned so many bridges that it's to the point now where circle the, the wagons, get done what you need to get done and see what happens or just say, Hey, sorry, everyone, we can't do it in close shop. I agree. So right. So for right now, I think we're saying, you know what, if it's a Kickstarter and it's from Mythic, run away. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, and it's something against the guys who run Mythic. Like, I'm sure they don't want this to be happening. Like, I think they're not, there's no maliciousness behind us. I think it's just mismanaged during a really hard time in the world. They couldn't recover. Yeah, sounds like uh, mismanagement. I wouldn't trust them with the nickel. Yeah, I would second, third, fourth thought about ever doing anything with them again so more controversy and josh this one i I put on here more for you because like you know what i don't really take a side in this but i saw that you were chiming in on it Uh, a very popular (laughs) reviewer previewer online uh quackalope who uh does uh, really enthusiastic videos about some of the biggest kickstarter campaigns coming out uh there's a a bit of a bit of a controversy at the moment between uh uh, the folks at quackalope and and I guess it's uh, the the folks making Ion's Trespass. Yeah, this is an unfortunate situation. Uh, I'm going to start off by saying that I am actually not. It's I'm not an avid Quackalope watcher at all. I think I've seen one of his videos. Okay. I know who Quackalope is. I mean, a lot of people do. The, I just never, you know, I had there's other people I'd rather listen to and watch who I know align with my game interest. But basically, what happened is that some person posted i think they were the head of some person i think it was a person who was actually ahead of aeon's trespass or something like that posted and accused quackalope um the channel and the guy running it that they were basically blackmailing them saying hey if you don't pay us a such and such amount of money we're going to post a negative review of your game and mm-hmm. that, and how the internet is and how sometimes board games are people immediately jumped on and were like oh what what is this going on like that's so disrespectful and then people who were maybe thinking about logically asked, okay, what proof do you have? And they showed an email chain, which was the email correspondence between the publisher and Quackalope about how they wanted to work together. Mm-hmm. Um, so I- You want me to take it from there? I, if you want to, I'll give my opinion for sure because I'm not. I've already stated it on the internet for all to hear. Sure, so. hold your opinion for a second, just to clarify a little bit more. So, in the emails back and forth, uh, it sounds like Quackalope had spent now. They claimed, uh, and this is from the email, 50 hours so far on Anne's trespass, and they had planned two videos. One saying it's a masterpiece several times over, you know, and here's why it's so great, and then another one saying this is basically unplayable. It's a disaster, uh, and I guess their angle 
is it's a confirmation bias video, two videos so that whether you don't want it or you do, you're going to find a video that, that lands with you, right? So they say this to the, the folks at Ions Trespass and, and they say, you know, for what we've done so far, uh, you know, we, we want to release these. It's seven, I think it was 7,500. Yeah. They wanted, uh, yeah. it was, which, you know, <laughs> part of me wants to be like, okay, you know, the little guys, the little players, uh, uh, you know, think you're, well, think anybody who's not like one of the big three, they can be the big players if people would put like, <clears throat> put simply, if they were not getting the big preview games and instead it was insert three other channels that were getting the big games. Well, then those three other channels are going to be the big games moving forward, right? It's sort of mm-hmm. a, a snowballing effect. These are the big channels. They have the audience. If I was a publisher, I'd be supplying them as well because I want to reach their audience. But basically, uh, there was some wording in the email from Quackloop that said something to the extent of, you know, we've had you know all kinds of issues with the rules and getting things straight. Uh, we can have someone come down here and teach us, do a live play, that sort of thing. Now, mind you, this is after a claim 50 hours in the game. Uh, they're saying you know, we're having plenty of rules, uh, uh, hiccups and issues with it. It's going to be 7,500. And by the way, we, in so many words, you know, you can read it as we can go ahead and rework that negative video. And I think that's what people were hung up on was like, wait, 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 wait. So you're offering to not publish or rework this or butter it up so long as they pay you the 75 it's just the, it it sounds and it looks bad on the surface and and I'll leave it at that adventures you know most folks probably don't even know that this is a thing if you're not like super you know like board game geek every day that kind of thing and you're in all the facebook groups but it is a thing cuz it's a huge name and a huge game so Josh what's your opinion on it what what's your take on it what do you what do you see from this so my take is that this is a classic example of extremely bad wording and miscommunication. Okay. That's what I think happened. For me, what it sounded like was that when Quackalope wanted to partner up with a up-and-coming publisher who is mm-hmm. producing great games, like what was Darkest, not Darkest Dungeon, but uh, Oathsworn. These are people who did Oathsworn and stuff like that. So they're, mm-hmm. they're making a name for themselves. As a business, because Quackalope is a business too – wanting to get early on with a publisher and possibly be the channel that covers their games is a good prospect in my opinion. Absolutely. So what you, what, what, as I'm looking at from a business perspective and myself, if I want to sell my channel, sell if, cause I'm, you know, I don't do we, you and I, I mean, at least for me for tabletop submarine, we're not interested in money. So, but like if I am, outside in the world trying oh, to sell me. myself level to like up a- is very interested in money take some notes but like say like i'm trying to sell myself to a company in a job interview mm-hmm. um do i go in blind not knowing anything about the company not knowing what they do what their biggest products are what they their mission is or do i spend time researching the company practicing for this interview getting to know the ins and outs of this place and what they're all about and then go in prepared for this interview to pitch myself to them. Mm-hmm. And so 50 hours for a game, my understanding is Aeon's Trespass is a huge game. Now, this is I, I don't think this is 50 hours of gameplay. I think it's 50 hours of you know reading the rules, playing the game a little bit, going over the game, setting up to shoot the game, editing, doing sound and stuff like that. I think it might be a collection of that stuff. Sure, sure. And my opinion is that after reading the emails over and over again, they said, hey... We want to work with you. 
we want to have this paid relationship. This is what we charge for. They return back and say, the publisher say, okay, well, any, any content that we pay for, we want to be positive. Quackler responds like, sure. Well, here are some frustrations we actually had with the game. We were pretty confused by the rules and stuff. But if we go into this relationship, we'd be happy to revisit it if someone teaches us the game like a designer or developer. Mm-hmm. That's where the crux was with me. And then later on, there's communication. There's a month, an actual month of no communication from the publisher to Quackalope. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm sitting on 50 hours of material and some videos – and, and I, material a, that's going to get views because it's a huge game. Yeah, it's going to get views. And I'm sitting there. I'm saying, okay, well, we have other games that are coming out. Quackalope is getting sent games. They have a production schedule. They have people they need to pay. They have memory. They, they need to keep up with the production schedule. Are we going to wait for them or are we just going to release the videos and move on? A month passes. They reach out again saying, hey. It's like, okay, well, we already released the videos because we have a production schedule to keep up on. Mm-hmm. So like I said, I don't think either person is in the right or wrong here. That, that's middle of the fence, but that's what I'm taking. It's a miscommunication on both parts. There is some bad wording in there that on the outset, if you don't critically, I think, analyze the whole situation, you could take as wrong. I don't think it was blackmail. I don't think there was extortion. I don't think there was anything negative about it. It was just bad communication and someone making a very rash and short-sighted decision to post it and put it out into the internet. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, I've kind of taken the, the stance on the whole thing of like, who knows? You know what I mean? Like we don't know whether it's bad wording or, or, or what it could be. So I'm basically just kind of, you know, that old meme of Kermit the Frog sipping the big pitcher of tea and just watching. <laughs> That's sort of where we're at. What I will say is that, you know, I'm reading through comments and, and one person, you know, how are you going to have rules issues and whatnot after 50 hours? And I actually responded to that when I said, look, 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 look. They're not in the business of playing games, right? Uh, and I don't think most of the the big channels, especially the preview channels uh, with the high video quality, they're not in the business of sharing the love of gaming. They're in the business of building an audience for publishers. Uh, that 50 hours, 45 of it was spent shooting, writing scripts, reworking shots, getting the lighting. You know what I mean? Like their their goal is not play and enjoy a game. Their goal is have 50,000 backers so that they can say to a publisher, we'd love to make your videos. It's $7,500. That's where, you know, if, if we come full circle, that's, that's my takeaway. And that doesn't, that's not necessarily a quack look thing. That's any of the big preview Kickstarter preview things. You're, you're, well, any of them, I don't have to name names. We all watch Kickstarters and we see the names on all of them. And and there are some that are very prominent and are on every single big thing. And I'm like, this is a 300-hour campaign. How do they put out <laughs> videos for one of these every week? It's because they're in the business of making the videos. And to bring it full circle and pat level up on the back and several of the other uh, you know, folks that we listen to and some of the, the publishers that we watch, you know, uh, the Hungry Gamer stands out as one to me, for example. Uh, you know, we're in it for the fun for the engaging conversation. And, and sometimes Scott, you and I'll even, you know, we'll get a little quote on a Kickstarter and you'll notice it's once every three months because we, you know, no one has the time to play every game, but man, when we hit one, it is, you know, it is fun to share, uh, share our love of a game. Yeah. I, my whole thing here is that I don't really want to put any sort of comment or thoughts about it out there. So because- we don't know. 
it, it, exactly. I'm not privy to all the stuff that's going on. This is just saying, like, I could uh, I could be talking to my wife, and I'll just say, "Oh my God, you're you are a bitch." <laughs> and I'll say that to her, and it's just like she goes, "Oh, I know," and it's fine. We know exactly what's going on. But uh, if I type it out and I say, "You're a bitch," how is that taken? Sure. Is sure. it taken Con- in a joking <laughs> manner? Is it taking as a serious thing? Is it taken? How is it taken? You don't have those little inflections of sound or voicing that on the internet, on emails or anything that you would have in person. The last thing that this thing needs is someone else coming up to the bonfire and throwing on another, oh, I heard this piece of paper on it to build it up even higher. So I'm just like, you know what? They're working on it themselves, working things out what they need to do. They don't need someone else here. I mean, hey, Josh, with you, too many cooks in the kitchen. What happens? Things get burned. You end up doing jujitsu in the back. (laughs) (laughs) That's what's happening on Facebook right now. Yeah. So I'm I'm just the busboy standing in the corner, looking on my phone and seeing what's going on on my Instagram. And that's about it right now. So I'm going to let the people involved take care of it themselves. They don't need someone else poking around and doing anything else. So, well, I and wanted I, to put I, it into this like controversy talk because now I've seen videos where folks are talking about like state of the board gaming industry. Like, where mm. are we at now that like the like you know you always hear this concept of the Kickstarter machine, right? And I don't blame these these content creators that want to make a few bucks and get something yeah. out there. I don't blame the publishers that want, you know what? They have the bigger audience than any of the publishers. Like you want to get your game seen, you know, if Dice Tower talks about it, it's going to be heard and seen by thousands more people than if you're mm-hmm. doing it on your own. Josh, you've been in like, uh, you, you guys have done pitch pitches for your games and whatnot. You've worked with publishers. You know that their audiences are not as big as some of the big content creators, for example. So I'm seeing these videos that are like, okay, what's the state of the industry? We have Kickstarters failing uh, or succeeding and then failing to deliver. Then we've got content creators who are coming to blows, we'll say, with publishers. And the reason is because the publishers are trying to get content creators to make fluff pieces for kicks. And we all know that that's happened for four or five years. It's just when it when it surfaces and you see, oh, okay, they were willing to pay a lot of money to have a positive video from a prominent reviewer. Man, that's uh, when you see something like that. It, it, yeah, that you kind of know happens anyway. It's sort of a, a hefty dose of reality for every person that's engaged in this thing. Here is another person on the other side that just wants to have fun playing games. So it's on what you want to do. Do you want to head for the people that are there stoking the fire, or do you want to head to the people that? Just want to have fun. I'm more of, hey, you know what? I don't have anything in this. I don't have anything against it. Do you want to play a game of Ark Nova? Let's go. And that's <laughs> it. So I really wish I had your attitude more, Scott. It's, I think your attitude is a lot healthier and I, <laughs> than mine. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm usually not in the mix of this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I actually kind of bowed out because I was hoping we could, I, I don't know what, this is delusions of grandeur. I was hoping to have a healthy conversation with people on the internet about how, the, I don't even know what about. And it turned out to be not that. I, I really need to, 
to follow your can, example, King Scott. <laughs> can I jump in there for a second and just tell you where you went wrong? Yes. I wanted to have a healthy relationship conversation <laughs> with people on the internet. <laughs> right there is where you went wrong. Hey, you dingus. I still believe. I still believe. <laughs> All right. Enough with controversy. Let's yes. have some fun. Josh, I want you to take the floor and tell us about the uh, Spiel des Jahres nominees and whatnot for 2023. Yeah, so it released just today. The For those of you who don't know, the Spiel des Jahres is like the Academy Awards, but it actually matters. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, not really. It's, it's, it's about as impactful as the Academy Awards. They're basically Germany's primetime award-winning games. They release a couple different awards a year, which is the uh, – Kind of maybe announce these. There is the spiel, the spiel, which, the, spiel the Kenner spiel, which is like the main mm-hmm. one. Then there is the uh, Kinder. Kinder, Kinder spiel, spiel. Mm-hmm. Kinder spiel. And then yep. there is the, uh, the the kids one, the kids are spiel, whatever. It is. That, that's the Kinder spiel. Kinder spiel. There's yes. a spiel, the oh, Kinder spiel, and the Kenner Kenner spiel. Oh my gosh! See, that's the that's the thing. <laughs> do we want to take this over here, Patrick? Yeah, do we or? have somebody else? Uh, where's Brown? <laughs> I, I, where's I, our I, merchant? I'm sorry, I'm not German. <laughs> I mean, I, I, ever since I became an ignorant slut, it's been really hard to. <laughs> Okay, Spiel des Jahres, what do we got? Spiel des Jahres, the three main nominees, the ones that are like in for the big award, are Dorf Romantic, Fun okay. Facts, and Next Station London. The heavier awards, like the game, the award for heavier games is Challengers, Nikki, mm-hmm. and Planet Unknown. And All the right. kids one is Carla Caramel, Gigamon, and Mysterium Kids. And I, I always think it's important to talk about these things because it helps you get into the minds of especially people – in one of the biggest board game markets in Germany and Europe, what they are thinking is fun. And I am honestly shocked that some of the games that were nominated are here. What are your guys' oh, reactions shade. to this? I wouldn't go that far. There, are, You know, Spiel has a, we'll say it's got a track record of being different. You know, it's not going to be a yeah. bunch of the same things. You're not going to find Kickstarter games on there, that sort of thing. Uh, Dwarf Romantic, that one caught my eye leading into packs i didn't have the chance to play it but you know it, it certainly looked cool next station london i did play it's it's what flipping right and i'm not crazy about flipping right but you know it, it was fine i'll say for the kenner spiel challengers when we left packs a bunch of the people that i was there with were like man you gotta play this challenge oh game. yeah, yeah. Sh- there's a copy at scg and i'm looking at the back i'm like this can't be that good but now i'm like it's not going to be there come Thursday when I get there. Haven't played Icky and Planet Unknown. Scott, we love that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Planet Unknown was our review game you know, not that long ago. It was the, the first one of season three. That was back in episode yeah. 79. We did Planet Unknown. Oh. And oh, that, that's a great game. I'm getting ready. I've mentioned this before going on this trip to South Dakota. Small games. And mm-hmm. I saw a little video of best small games that this a uh, couple enjoy, and they're from England, I think it is. And mm-hmm. one of the ones they had was Next Station London. So that's on my thing here, thinking, oh, I might have to take a look at this and tuck it in my suitcase and take it with me on vacation. So it's funny, I, I have that list right here in front of me, and Next Station London was the last game that they put on there. And seeing that it's up for an award, that's that kind of cool. It makes me really want to take a look at it now. Now, Josh, I'm gathering that you got some beef with this list. The only one I, I, I don't understand is Dwarf Romantic. Maybe because I am a much bigger fan of the video game okay. than the actual board game. I mean, I don't know much about Next Station London. I do think Fun Facts 
only having seen gameplay footage does deserve to be up there. I do think that that is a innovative approach to the kind of how do you know the table type party game. Mm-hmm. All right. And then with the heavier games and the kids, I mean, I think Mysterium Kids, that's just baloney. It's, I mean, pick a, pick a different game. Mysterium's been pick around a, for a long time. Pick a new time. game. Yeah. Pick a new yeah. game. Yeah. It's, that's just well, like, come on. Okay. We're not here for the kids' awards anyway. I mean, they're, I'm sure they're fine, all of them. Oh, yeah. But, like, you know, I think when it comes to like movies or like video games, I can usually kind of guess what the award nominees are going to be just based right. on the quality and what I, and just history, what people look for. Mm-hmm. I never know what the spiel is going to pick because I never know what the heck they're looking for. And it's just frustrating. So maybe it's just my own personal, like the, the not knowing what they are trying to look for just irks me a little bit. You know, this was <laughs> supposed to be our fun change of pace. <laughs> Guys, we went a little long in the banter. Let's start talking recent plays. You ready? <laughs> Certainly. Absolutely. Josh, you're the guest. Why don't you take the floor? Okay. I am going to talk about a game that was nominated for a spiel, though. That is absolutely fantastic. And that is Scout. So yeah. Scout is a little card game from Oink Games where you are playing circus scouts trying to create the best show. And that's where the theme stops. There yep. is there, there, <laughs> there's, reading the box themes over. Yeah, there's, there's no theme here. Basically, this is kind of a ladder. This is what's called a ladder climbing game. It's very popular in like countries like Korea, Japan. Basically, you have a hand of cards and they each have a number on the top corner and on the bottom corner. You get your cards still out to you and you look at your hand and you can choose to either start with the cards face up or flip them around, start with them the other direction. And that's pretty much it. After that, they're stuck in your hand the way they are. And then you're going around the table trying to play different sets of cards in order to try to increase the value of what you're playing out. So for instance, if you have a card that has one on it and you play it, any card of a higher value will beat that. It's like oh, a two, a three, or four. But you can also play doubles of a cards in a run. So say you play someone plays that on a one, you can play a one, two, and beat that. Well, say the next person wants to try to beat that, but doesn't want to do a run of two or three, but they have double ones, they can play double ones. So mm-hmm. any set of cards higher than the previous set of cards, as far as number of cards, beats that set. A run of cards will always beat a set of one card, and then a doubles will always beat runs. I'm making it sound a lot more complicated than it actually is. Up until you have a run of three. Yeah. No, pe- people that know ladder climbing get it. Yeah. Um, this is my first kind of exposure to this kind of game, and I absolutely loved it. Oh, this yeah? is no, yeah, no. It was. I really enjoyed the puzzle behind this. The the I really do find the decision in the very beginning of what direction do I flip my cards extremely juicy. The logic puzzle of how, what cards can I get rid of at once in order to bring the cards that are kind of maybe in a succession together to make a good set is extremely fascinating to me. I have not lost a game of Scout. Since I've been playing it, I played it around twenty times. Maybe this is just my this is maybe this is just my kind of game, which is why I like it so much. But having a game I can fit in my pocket and play with pretty much anybody is really satisfying to me. And I really want to p- find some people who play this game a lot more often, so I can like get better at it. It's a game I want to get better at. But that's Scout from Oink Scott. Games. Have you played? I have it here because Teacher Ryan gave me a copy of it, and I have not played it yet. Yes. I'll have to Um, show you. We can play with Tom at the shop. Oh, most definitely. I'll I'll have it packed with me every time I go then. 
I played this one last year at Gen Con, played it with Ryan a handful of times, Hungry Gamer and the guys from uh, Dead Alive. I think it was the Dead Alive guys who were playing Scout together. It doesn't matter who we're playing with. Uh, it is a clever game. Uh, yeah. I, the, the letter climbing, the card shedding, the idea is get, uh, get your hand empty the quickest uh, right. card shedding. That, that's fun. I like that mechanic. I like that it's quick. We'll say the gimmick, the the mechanism by which you can either play with your hand one way or flip it over and you, your cards are ordered in a different fashion. That's neat. Um, it takes a little bit of the agency out, but there's still enough with like deciding when you're going to pick cards up, when you're going to uh, uh, do a flip and show. I, I like this one too. Scout, Scout's a clever little game. Oh, very cool. Speaking of which, Patrick, what have you been playing recently? Oh, I got one from uh, Rock Manor Games, designed by Clarence Simpson in 2021, called Merchants of Magic. This is a roll and write game set in the world of the game, set a watch. But uh, in this case, you play as the owner of a magic item shop, and you're crafting items and researching spells for the adventurers of the watch in practice. This means you're filling out recipes to fulfill goal cards, but the goals like cycle around the table. And, and I'll get to that. So this being a roll and write. Each player is going to get a player sheet, of course. And on this sheet, there's like six categories. Three on the left side of the page that require materials. These are actual like items, like axes and backpacks. And then the three on the right side of the page require energies. Think of them like adjectives, like fiery or shocking, or even uh, like of the dwarves, right? So you might want to you might want to get a, a, a an axe of the dwarves or a, a shocking sword of the elves, that sort of thing, right? <laughs> uh, next to each item, there's going to be a number or numbers that depict what you need to see on a given die face in order to check it off. So for example, the backpack is the first item on the left, and there's only one number there. It's a three. You look above the row, and you can see what dice are allowed to be used in that column. In this case, the red, the purple, or the yellow. All right, so let's rewind a minute and go over the dice themselves. There's four of them in the game. You get a D6, D8, D12, and a D20. And at the start of the round, all four dice... the hell was that? My chair broke. Sorry, go ahead. Keep going. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> go ahead. Oh, We're good. My I'm so sorry. Okay. At the start of a round, all four dice are rolled. <laughs> I can't. At the start of a round, all four dice are rolled and everyone uses the results as they wish on their board. Now, what's really cool is you only get to use two of the dice for checking off circles on your sheet, but the game offers ways that you could use a third or even a fourth die result, which introduces player agency decisions, oh. which is what I want in a game. There it is. We need a sound effect for whatever we get to say player agency. Uh, we just need to get you a t-shirt. <laughs> Agency. I want player got agency. Yeah, it's free. What's that? What's that mean? It's free agency. It's like that. <laughs> it's free real estate. <laughs> so why are we checking off these items? Uh, what's the target here? Well, in the play, it, uh, like for example, I'll use our play at the meetup. For example, we had a full complement of eight players, so we're all sitting around this table with our sheets and pens ready to rock. And above each person's sheet, two items are placed there, and each item has its own requirements. So, a fiery shield needs the player to have completed the fire row on their sheet, plus the shield armor on their sheet. And if you've done so, or if you do it this turn, then you'll be able to claim that card and the points that are on it, and you replace it with another card. This is where it gets especially neat. The end of a round, you have those two cards above your sheet. Everybody takes the card that's on the left and they give it to the player to their left. Their 
other card slides you know in front of them and they accept a card from their right so that they still have two in front of them right so mm-hmm. you're going to have one card that you've had last round and you'll have this round and one card that's new to you this means that you can pre-plan what you want to craft based on what you can see is coming your way scott if you're sitting to my right and i see two cards above you and they both need i, I don't know fiery and you don't have fiery you haven't even started on that i'm like oh so if i start working on fiery it doesn't help me right now but when those items from scott come to me i'm gonna be able to fulfill them i like that that's at that's another element of depth and i like that uh, honestly tons of thought that you got to put into each decision in the game Finally, there's a lot of variability from game to game based on end game targets that are available to everyone. Plus, each player starts with a companion, like a like a loyal customer. They always come to your shop. You did them good a long time ago. So they always come to you. You got the good deals, right? They have some items uh, that they're going to want you to do as well, and only you can fulfill them. So that's going to give you some direction. You play for 10 rounds. You score up the points from your collected cards, plus a couple of the uh, community gold cards in the center of the table. Like if you met these conditions, extra points, it's Etc. Uh, and the high score wins. Merchants of Magic. Josh, you've played this one. You did this one for Lost Loot about a year, maybe. Wow, I don't even remember. That was going back a ways. Yeah, this is a long time ago. And <laughs> do you remember it? I, I do. I do because I have been secret, secret playtesting upcoming expansions for this game Woo-hoo! that I think they've been announced at this point. I, I am I am friends with the designer Clarence, who resides here in North Carolina, and he's been bringing the expansions to like different prototyping events. So there's expansions coming out for this game, and so I've been testing it a lot and playing it a lot. This is a great game. Still, like I agree with everything you said. I don't have much more to add beyond what you what you said, Patrick. It's just fantastic. All right, so we know what's going on here with all the the dice and things like that. Is there anything special with the components? Because I I really have no reference with this game at all. Well, it's a flipping right. So like if we're talking special, eh, probably not. You got cards, you got sheets, you got a few dice. But I will say the artwork is really good. And uh, and frankly, they squeeze some theme into a roll and write, which I think is also kind of hard to do. But it's got some extra perks beyond that, Scott. It's easy to learn right? You got a lot of decisions. Good players are going to appreciate that. New players are still going to feel like they're doing something. How about this? The game takes about 45 minutes. You can get eight people to sit down and play a pretty robust flipping right, and you're done within an hour. Very cool. I like that. Yeah. So that's Merchants of Magic. And that's going to take us right over to you, King. What have you had on the table? Well, I got a chance to play a little bit of Architects of the West Kingdom. So this was designed by S.J. McDonald and Shem Phillips, published by Renegade Games back in 2018. So picture it, Western Europe, 850 A.D. Mud, rocks, marble, dirty people, a chance to make something better. That's what you're doing in Architects of the West Kingdom. This is the first part of Shem Phillips' West Kingdom trilogy. Now you have your meeples and a dream. How are you going to achieve it? Let me tell you. You want to have the most points by the end of the game. There you go. That's it. There's the yep. answer. You get the most points, you win Architects of the West Kingdom. <laughs> this is the game with the 25 meeples in it, right, per player? Like some absurd number of meeples? Yes. It is absurd. So, okay. okay. So the game end comes when you have no more spaces available in the guild hall. Now, this is where you place your workers when you purchase a building or complete some work on the cathedral. The winner will be the player with the most points. Duh. But there's a neat way in which you get there. 
So during your turn, you'll place one of your workers in a space on the beautiful game board. I mean, it really looks great. Um, This may be my favorite part of the game. The spaces, like his other games before, are small or large, indicating that only one meeple or multiple meeples can be placed on it. Now, each one of these spaces will give you resources in order to build your town. Oh, I I forgot. And there are nobles and 'er ne'er-do-wells that can assist you in your plans. Mm -hmm. Everything you build, whether it be buildings or portion of the cathedral, will give you points and virtue, or the lack thereof. So, this is, in its basic form, a worker placement and resource management game. The Mm -hmm. thing that makes your brain squirm a little is that many things that you send a worker to do will either give you virtue or take it away. Build a chapel. Hey, he got some virtue as well as points. A little holy pat on the back. But being a pillar of society means that you pay your taxes, as good people do. But if you take goods from the black market or end up in jail, you lose virtue. So Mm -hmm. why pay your taxes, right? So (laughs) the fine line to walk is how long do you... Hold on. I don't don't mean to interrupt. The Level Up Board Game podcast does not condone not paying your taxes. (laughs) Let's let's just get that out of the way. Go ahead. All right. Big asterisk there. Okay. The fine line to walk is how long do you dip your toes in the underworld and not pay your taxes and lose points until you play the golden boy, raise your virtue status, and get those ever-important points. This is a nice problem to have in a game. This falls into one of those palate cleansing games that I love. This takes you back to an easier, cleaner time of Euros. I like the game. I might not love it, but realize that this game will definitely have a place in my collection for this reason. Then, To clarify, when you say palate cleanser, now I've played Architects. This is not a short game. This, you know, no, I, no, I oftentimes no, no. I equate a palate cleanser with like that 15 minute end of the night thing. This isn't that. No, 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 no. I look at this as being one of those things where you aren't over encumbered with a lot of excess rules and remembering, well, this does this, this does this. This is you put something down, you get a resource. You put something down, you get this. And it's easy to get into and you aren't burdened by going back to the book for something and going to this. You can just sit there, play it and enjoy yourself Ark Nova, you are pounded down with like so many decisions. What are you going to do? So sometimes it's, yeah, you enjoy playing a heavier game, but sometimes you just want to play a game where it's just a lighter decision making. And that's Mm -hmm. what I think this one is. Have you played this one, Josh? I have played Architects. I was one of the very first games I actually bought when I first got into the hobby and it introduced me to worker placement. I enjoyed it a lot when I first played it. I think I've maybe outgrown it after a dozen or so plays, to be completely honest. Mm -hmm. But there is a lot to love about this game, and I will never say no to sitting down to play one. I I think, like Scott said, the board is absolutely beautiful. My favorite part of the game is the cathedral race, where you're racing to get see who has... Because there's a cathedral you're all trying to build collectively together, and as you are the first to reach certain steps, you get rewards. It could be a winning strategy, but it's just one aspect that I really enjoy. And I I always recommend it as maybe like, hey, this is a great starter worker placement, and then you can want maybe some more complex ones. Yeah, and there's so many different trilogies he has in this chain of games that you can really hit on whatever type of genre or theme a player may enjoy then as well. But yeah, so that's Architects of the West Kingdom. 
we got to get him something special on episode 100. I mean, you know what we should maybe upgrade the, uh, the his, his, his horn. <laughs> oh, uh, no, no, no. I, I was thinking of like a coaster with level up board game podcast or something. I wasn't thinking anything big like that. Jeez. No, well, it's time for that top 100 update. Let's give it a look, guys. We got prime movers up five spots. Number 92 heat pedal to the metal. Top 10 trends. Gloomhaven back down to number three. Pandemic legacy season one back up to number two. I'm interested in seeing those two continue to dance. It's kind of funny. We've got new highest peaks. These games are higher than they've ever been. Kanban EV, slow and steady up to number 57. Obsession at number 88. And Heat Pedal to the Metal, number 92. And speaking of Heat Pedal to the Metal, our conversation after the review game, we're going to be looking back one more time at those Golden Geek Awards and talking about maybe some things that got snubbed, some of the surprises. We we talked about them last time, Scott. You know, it was nice to share and, you know, mm-hmm. be, be all happy, lovey-dovey. But now it's time to, to crap on them a little bit. But first, we've got a review game, guys. <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> okay, Josh, are you doing Gollum? You being, you being Smeagol? You precious review. Oh my god. <laughs> was was that right. good? Love it. Hey there, adventurers. King Scott here, and today we're going to be talking about War of the Ring, the card game, published by Ares Games, designed by Ian Brody. This is for two to four players and plays in about an hour, hour and a half. And it was released in 2022. In War of the Ring, you're playing one of the sides of the great battle. One side plays as the free peoples and the other plays as the shadow forces. You will recruit all the characters and armies you know from the books to make sure your side is victorious. Now, each side will have a deck of battleground cards These will be played along with a path card. The path cards guide you through the storyline of the game. Each path is numbered 1 through 9, and each path card has three different cards so that your journey can be different each time. The battleground cards are different battles that happen along the way of the journey of the Fellowship. The game starts with the Free Peoples, and more importantly, whoever is playing with the Hobbits. This player will activate a battleground and follow the text on the card. They will then activate a path card and follow that text as well. During your turn, you can play cards to either location. Any card? Come on, no way! You can't have the Balrog attack bag in, you heathens. Each card will have some symbols and numbers on them. To play a card at the path location, your card must be able to be found at the location during the story. There will be numbers listed on your character card showing which paths they can be played on. To play on a battleground location, there are icons listed on the character card that must match with the icons on the battleground card. Once again, you won't find a mouth of Sauron skulking around in Moria. Cards can be played by discarding a card. Play one card, discard a card. Simple enough. But the decision on whether you are going to be able to cycle through your deck fast enough to get back to that card that is going to be really useful on path 7 by the time you get there is a hard pill to swallow. 
So even though you don't need to wait for enough power to be built up to play a character, it is still going to be very tough to make your plans work the way you want them to. Other actions are going to be playing equipment on characters, playing events, cycling cards, discarding cards from the game to be able to draw a card, many other actions there as well. The one important one is passing. Now, once each player has passed consecutively, the round is over and you tally up the damage. You will count up the number of skulls and the number of shields on the path cards. The one with the most will win the location. Same with the battlegrounds. The one with the most swords in comparison to the shields will be victorious. Another thing that makes your decisions very difficult is that everyone you send to attack will be expelled from the game unless their card says otherwise. Play switches to the next player and the next battleground and the next path are revealed and play continues. This is a basic card game but it adds a few more twists to it than your regular card game to make it almost painful at times. But oh, so much fun. I think you might see where my thoughts are going, but let's get back to Patrick and Josh this time to see what they have to say about War of the Ring, the card game. Hey, Take your down the left flank. Gambling. Follow the King's Banner down the center. Remote! Take your company right after you pass the wall. Forth! And fear no darkness! Arise! Arise, riders of Theoden! Spears shall be shaken! Shields shall be splintered! A sword day! A red day! And the sun rises! Thank you, Scott, for the walkthrough of today's review game, War of the Ring, the card game. Adventures, it's time. You know how we like to do it. The 8-bit breakdown is eight facets of this game, and we're going to bring it all home with was it fun and who's it for. But let's start here, guys. The art and components. I think, uh, why don't we do Josh, Scott, me for each of these? Josh, you're the guest. What do you think? Art and components of War of the Ring, the card game. This is my favorite art in any board game or card game. Ooh, that's, this uh, that's is, some high praise. This is absolutely fantastic. I'm going to come and say this. I am a huge, absolute massive Lord of the Rings Tolkien fan. 
and I love Arda and all of its ins and outs and things like that. So it might be a little biased, take that what it is. But they took lots of inspiration from artists like John Howe and Alan Lee, who were some of the original concept artists for both the movie Lord of the Rings and some of the books and things like that. All right. And they capture what I believe to be the best representation of what Tolkien's Middle Earth should be. Each card has character. Each artwork is for the most part, unique. There are some doubles of cards, but each individual character has a unique card art assigned to them. Each of the path locations really brings to life the story that the game is trying to tell. Yes. As far as components go, I mean, it's cards. They're, they're pretty good cards, I think. It's cards, yeah. It's cards, yeah. But the artwork, ooh, chef's kiss. <laughs> Scott? Well, I need to say here, I mean, art and components, the makeup of this game is... Um, cards as implied by the name <laughs> you have a few tokens available as well but yeah i do agree with you the artwork is beautiful i've not played many aries games so i wasn't sure what to expect with this game but yeah top notch and the fact that the path cards and the battleground cards are oversized you get even more of that artwork as well now i played the lord of the rings lcg from uh ffg I mean, they have gorgeous artwork as, as well, but there's just something about this one that isn't like, if you had to look at it and say like FFG's artwork is airbrushed, this is more of like, this is the actual original artwork before they went through and kind of cleaned things up. Not saying that it's dirty, but you see all the lines and you see how the artwork comes together. Yeah, I agree with you. It's absolutely gorgeous artwork. And if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, yeah, definitely. You're going to love seeing this stuff. So we're focusing on the artwork because this is an artwork forward game. It's card game. You're not, you mm -hmm. know, nobody's going to be looking for miniatures and, you know, metal pieces, things like that. And I, I think my, my take on the artwork is essentially the same thing that you guys like, but I'm going to, I'm going to phrase it slightly differently. Uh, Magic the Gathering has a set coming out right now that's Lord of the Rings based. It's, it's in Middle Earth, right? And if you look at those cards, uh, they have that standard Magic the Gathering, you know, dash of light in the background. And, you know, if it was like one card in the set looked like that, it'd be like, wow, that card looks spectacular. But Magic for like 15 years, Every card, like the artwork on everything is epic. And I have this thing, you know, well, it, it's probably not, I probably heard someone else say it and stole it, but when everything's epic, nothing's epic. You know, that's just mm -hmm. what it is, right? Uh, and frankly, Magic the Gathering's gotten to a point where all of the art, all of it is cookie cutter. Let's, you know, let's put this, this splash of light. Let's amp up the contrast. It's all done on a computer. This looks like, gritty old school early 80s art you know late yep. 70, like that it gives you that time you can tell it's a painting yes nobody's gonna look at it and be like wow that is the most spectacular piece i've ever seen but you know what that means that means it has character and and to me that was the the big draw of the artwork in the game is that it it gives you the character of lord of the rings i really appreciated that 
Fun fact for you, Patrick, John mm-hmm. Howe, one of the artists in this game and whose lots of the sketches are inspired by, actually did lots of drawings for early Magic the Gathering sets. Early, exactly. Early Magic the Gathering. And that's when Magic had charm. That's when you you pull out your deck of cards. It's like, oh, you know, I'm casting spells from these old, you know, long forgotten magic cultures. And I'm, oh, I'll make a dragon. Now it's like every card has this, this. You get my point. You know, I'm, I'm not crapping on magic yeah. art. It's just that like when everything is stunning, well, then none of it's stunning. That's just the way that it looks. And frankly, after a while, it gets tiresome when every common, every uncut, everything, everything looks epic. So none of it's epic. Compare the two next to each other. Like if you had to look at one piece from the Magic the Gathering set versus one piece from this, you'd be like, well, the Magic the Gathering art is clearly better. But whenever you look at the the collection as a whole of the Magic set versus this game, one of them has character. One of them has personality. The other one, it's just a bunch of really colorful, highly refined computer images the other one's got brush strokes. You know, you, you can feel the artist's work in it. And and I really like it. Yeah. The one, one last thing you were last saying, thing Scott. I wanted to say was if anybody has watched the extended version of Return of the King, you saw Mouth of Sauron on it. Mm-hmm. He's pretty disturbing in that movie. Mm-hmm. The paintwork, the artwork for this one here, the Mouth of Sauron, if they had had that character in there that way, oh, kids would be having nightmares for a long time. Amen. Number two, we focus on the theme and immersion of the game. Go ahead, Josh. They nailed it. They absolutely nailed it. The we with the art and the way the game plays out, like the pace and the way the rhythm. I'm gonna say the rhythm of the game. I right. felt like I was playing through the trilogy, and not necessarily the movie trilogy. I felt some of that, but the books. I felt like I was playing through the adventure. Um, through my play as the free peoples and that I was the free peoples and I was facing overwhelming odds. I was extremely immersed in the game. I knew what characters I looked, I was like, Oh, I wish I had this, this hero in this instance to come because it'd be so perfect, but I need to do this right now. It was, I felt the desperation of the free peoples as I was playing the game. And I felt immersed Mm -hmm. that I didn't realize I was playing three and a half hours by the time (laughs) the game was over. I I was that into it. (laughs) What'd you think, Scott? I think you know what to expect, and it's there. The immersion comes from the path cards, I feel. Each path card has a number on it. Many of the cards you're going to play are only able to be played on certain paths, so you're not going to be able to play the Balrog and Bag End or anything, so you're limited to where along the journey you can play the certain cards. That I absolutely love, because like you said, uh, Josh, it really makes you feel like you're following the story. Mm-hmm. So the things that you would expect to happen in certain places, you can expect them to show up. That is just such a a, a very special thing they did with this game. I, and I give them top scores for that then. They also tie into what happens in the books, like the um, the uh, Eowyn card, for example. Whenever she enters the battlefield, she gets to kill off a Nazgul. Just be like, boom, kill that. Mm-hmm. And that is very powerful. I was sitting on that one today, so eventually I finally discarded it. It's like, well, I don't think that I'm going to have the opportunity to play a Rohan card where he's got an Ozgul. We're, we're going into <laughs> eight or nine. I think this is going to go towards Mordor at this point, so we, we better let it go. Um, the uh, Arwen, she gives a buff to mm-hmm. 
Aragorn, uh, either copy. If you play Gandalf the White, then you got to get rid of Gandalf the Grey out of the deck. Like you guys were saying, there are certain cards that can only be played to certain areas. You know, that all brings in the theme. I even appreciated that they used the the weapons. They found a way to incorporate like Galadriel's file that she mm-hmm. had. They found a way to get Glamdring in there. Gandalf's sword, for example. Shadowfax made it in the game as a mount. Uh, the, the dragon thing for one of the Nazgul was in there as well. That's all very thematic. And the events. I had the one. It was the Riders of Rohan when Theoden's mm, given his yeah. speech. And he's like, uh, you know, Rui Ra. And there's a card that's like you can sacrifice some number of your your Rohan riders and, and whatnot. Rohan, basically, they have the Rohan symbol to just wipe out that many things. In an it area. is it's like, all so this clutch. feels so epic. Very, but it's also very narrow because you've get, like the lunar alignment has to be there. And, and in one of the play that we had earlier today, in fact, Scott, we didn't. I didn't have the opportunity to use it. I saw it twice because I cycled through the deck twice and it just never came up. But you could see when you saw that card, like, holy crap, this game can tell a very different story next time we play uh, than what it is right now. That was cool. And that's one thing great about it. Like in in my play of it, my partner in in the good people's side, I don't know what he was thinking, but the very first turn of the game, he plays down Gandalf the Grey and Rivendell. And the, I was like, why would you do that? And like, he immediately said, I should not have done that. Right. <laughs> and like, you know, it was still okay because we ended up winning anyway, but it was just this funny image we had of like Gandalf, like you shall not pass. And no one shows up to Rivendell. It's like, well, <laughs> like, cause, cause the, we wasted this powerful card and none of the mortar Isingar guys played any cards there because they knew it was a waste. So we're like, no, you just put them in the reserve. And wait. Be impressive when someone's standing in front of you. <laughs> and now it's like, well, now you got to find Gandalf the white because we're going into Moria. <laughs> so it's it was a fun uh, i'll get into later that that was fun for sure yeah bit number three we talk about a game's complexity how hard is it to figure out what's going on to put a strategy together to function within the game josh so i think if you don't know the movies or the books as well it's going to be a little harder as someone who is a fan of the books, I kind of knew and guessed where the things needed to be played and what the best strategy was. But what I think some of the brilliance in the design is, is like like I said, we played Gandalf the Grey in Rivendell. That is a bad move, objectively. <laughs> but because of the communication you can have at the table and the way the cards work, you are still able, through careful planning and card play, to come back and win. I do think that as far as complexity goes, there's there is a learning curve. There's definitely ways and a rhythm. Like I said, there's like there's like a rhyme and rhythm to this game that you have to kind of learn to jive with. But right. also it's like jazz, because it's gonna you have to improvise sometimes because the cards you're gonna pull out aren't gonna necessarily jive what's going ha- what's happening on the table. That's so true. I wouldn't say it's as complex, not nearly as complex as the, the board game. But if you've played games like Architects of the West Kingdom, I think you could probably work your way into this one. It's not a terribly complex game. Now, there are some things that are a little unclear, but that will come out as you play more games. The ability to play a card and pay a card for it, adds a nice change because you don't get pressed down with the need to get a certain amount of power in order to get your super strong cards out there. Being able to put a card out there, pay one card for it, that kind of levels the playing field for everyone. So. Any good card can come out at any point in time 
It's just on how you want to play it. So magic's not difficult where you have to look at it and say, well, I need two black, a green and a red. And you have to wait to get those in your hand and put them out. You just look at what you have in your hand and play one card and cycle the other card. But the problem is, what card are you going to cycle? And that kind of sucks. And that will come in later for me. I think the complexity is actually kind of light. Not like light, but I think it's on the lighter end of medium. Uh, Board Game Geek has it at a 2.86. And I would have put it, I mean, we're cutting hairs here, but I would have put it at like a 2.25, slightly less than half, like on the lighter end of midweight. Because when you think about it, it's strictly counting shields and swords, discard any card to play any card. And other than that, just read the card. And Mm -hmm. you're not going to have keyword abilities. There are no keyword abilities, if I'm not mistaken. There's no flanking, first strike, flying, et cetera. It's strictly, it adds this much power to this location. It takes away this much power from this. Like, yo, what about an event? Read the event. It says draw five cards, play. You know what I mean? Like none of it is difficult. And you, you don't really even have to learn what every card does before you play as long as you understand to play a card you've got to discard essentially discard one card in order to play it you can play it to your reserve you can play it to a location if it's at a location you want either more shields or more swords so that you can win at that location that's it from there you can kind of learn on the fly and by learn on the fly i mean read the card you draw because there aren't going to be many surprises i thought uh, a midweight game and, and thought it was actually pretty easy to to dive into, which ties right into rulebook and learning curve. So that's kind of going to be my thoughts on rulebook and learning curve. I didn't get to see the rulebook. Uh, Scott, you so graciously taught this one masterfully, I might add. The learning curve I thought was really, really easy. I mean, this is this rulebook was fantastic. I read it once and I felt comfortable teaching the game. Like obviously mm. I had to go back and look at some rules. But I, I mean, I'm never like we've talked about this before. I'm never blown away by a rule book. It's like, okay, right, this, right. Is a, this is a rule book. I was blown away by this rule book, considering that all I've been hearing from people about War of the Ring, the board game, is how awful the rule book was. <laughs> and so, so I was going to like, okay, I got to slog through this. It was a pleasant, beautiful surprise. I was like, oh my gosh, why cannot, how come all rule books cannot explain their games as simply <laughs> as this. But that was that, that was my experience. And I do agree with you on the learning curve, Patrick. It's pretty easy. But under I think understanding the complexities and the nuances of the game could get I it's gonna keep me coming back, but it could keep you coming back as well, adventurers. Uh, well, Scott, what were your thoughts on the rule book? It is laid out nicely. I, I think there's a couple little things that threw me off a little bit. The use of their bold type was kind of weird at times because there'd be something bold and you're like, okay, I need to read this. But then there might be something important in just regular type that you might overlook. You I know, know that's actually far- really fair. <laughs> that's, yeah. I think about it. that's really fair. For <laughs> always tie. the attacker will lose things. Yeah, tie, I could not find anything in the rule book. Like if <laughs> we you struggle to find, wait a minute, what if we tie? <laughs> yeah, attackers have to get rid of all their cards whenever they're done attacking. And that is just in a little, like, regular font there. You would think something like that would be in a bold font. Just little things like that. But the thing that I really did like about it was the pages with the keywords that you have in there uh, as far as cycle and different things like that that come up. They have full pages with that and what page to look at to get the ruling Mm -hmm. for it. It it was kind of weird whenever you look at it and you learn it all as a four-player game period 
that's it the whole way you go through it and then whenever you go back to the back then you split it up into a two or three it's player like, game oh there. and if you're playing with two just do it the, yeah yeah that, that makes yeah it would sense. be something gotta find a way to, to get that in there yeah it would be something where they would just show you like how the rules go and then how you would adapt it for two three or four players but they went in with four players and then for two players, each uh, free people's uh, player will lose one card. Well, that means that you're going to lose it twice. Well, it's just kind of weird adapting it for different player counts. But other than that, I mean, yeah, it was very, very clear for the, the rule book. Bit number five, we talked the meat. We've got this thematic game with this wonderful IP and charming artwork going on. Where's the meat of the game? What's the part that's putting our brain to task, Josh? I've, I've been thinking about this question where the meat of the game is and my mind waffled between is it the timing of knowing when to play the cards and i decided no i think the meat of the game comes from the cycle mechanic that Mm. scott was talking about that decision to what card do i play and what card do i cycle is such a heart-wrenching decision in some cases because you really (laughs) need both cards and, and, and if gonna, we didn't clarify it yet, the, again, just to restate, the cycle mechanic is how you pay for a card. You can play any card by cycling. Cycling basically means discarding. Um, so if I want to play, whether it's a, a, a lowly militiaman or Gandalf the White, I just discard one card to play it. Go ahead, Josh. Yeah, and you're going to get those cards back for sure. Like they're going to go. There's only uh, a, a card only leaves the game permanently when it's eliminated. But you're going to get those cards back and trying to hope that you get to recycle your deck, which means you get your cards back that you cycled and hope and hopes to get the cards, I think is the real strategy. Because you can draw Gandalf the White or even Saruman or the the Tower, the Eye of Sauron in the first turn. That's obviously where you're going to cycle. But as you get closer to the end, are you going to have enough time to cycle that card and get it back into your hand to play at the right moment? Like you are thinking ahead the entire game. Mm-hmm. There was not a single moment I wasn't thinking about what card I need to play and what card I need to cycle and what card right, I need right. to put into my reserve. Because once it's in the reserve, that's a whole other ability that needs to unlock. But that also exposes that also leaves cards that I don't have to cycle and play in my game. So that cycling mechanic and that hand play, that hand management, really I think is the meat of the game. It's funny we must be sharing a brain because I really get the same thing there. Um, not having to gather energy to put out your main cards, only cycle a card. It's tricky because you know the cards are going to get back into your hand after you cycle through everything. So what cards do you want to give up to get other cards out? You got rid of a card that is available to fight on path four and five, and it won't come back until well past the path four and five. Well, poop. I mean, (laughs) the mechanic is so simple but the ex- execution of it is remarkably tough. You really nailed it, Josh, whenever you said it is a heartbreaking decision. Do you want to give up Aragorn right now, knowing that he's going to come back later and help you, but will he be there when you need him? 
So that's such a tricky game to play with that. Yeah, cycling might be the most important of the decisions that you make there. Josh, you started to mention timing, and uh, Scott, I'll use your uh, example with Aragorn. If you get rid of him early, you cycle him early, you know he's going to come back probably at some point before the end of the game. You're going to cycle and play cards from your deck. It's going to deplete, and you're going to reshuffle, and you're going to recreate the deck. So the odds of him coming back are pretty good. So if it's turn one and I cycle him, well, that's okay. Because he's probably going to come back later, and I get to play something that is is cheap and you know something that just needs to get the job done for now. So that's where the timing comes in. They also give you that reserve mechanic. So if I'm going to play a card, it doesn't have to go on the path, and it doesn't have to go onto a battle uh, onto a battleground. It can instead just go into my reserve. There are cards that benefit even more when in the reserve versus uh, in the battlefield, vice versa. But sometimes it's nice to just you know what. I'm going to let him win the path this round. I'm going to let him win the battlefield too because he led off his first two plays were boom, boom, on the battlefield, on the path. I'm going to set up for next round because those two cards, they're only worth one point each. I'm going to set up and I'm going to wait and I'm going to jump on something that costs more. That then leads you to this this very interesting thing where you start looking at each other's cards in hand because you you can just pass. And it's not like Terraforming Mars where you pass, you're out for the rest of the round. You can just pass so long as you have fewer cards than the other player, which doesn't sound like it's always going to be the best decision, but there is value in waiting to see what they do before making your decision. So there's this little mini game of like a hand management thing. I think I just pass here and wait. Plus you have your ring, which you're going to use every turn. That's just one more decision. Draw three. You got to get rid of one for good, cycle one and keep one. That just adds one more strategic portion of the game. Guys, let's move on to replayability and variability. Josh, it's yours again. So I don't think this game is very variable. That's probably one of the one of the weaknesses of it. You're you are going to be playing the same game over and over again as far as hand management. There's no expansions for it yet. It's you know, you can switch it up. Maybe I'm playing the free peoples this time and you're playing, you know, the shadow, but you're mm-hmm. you're playing the same game each time. But replayability, there's tons of it because each of those decks do play very differently and have a different feel to them. And sure. the communication at the table between the players, whether it be two players, three players, or four, is going to vary extremely. You know, it's going to be very extremely based on who's sitting at it. So yeah, I could see myself playing this game over and over again. I don't care if I'm doing the same thing. I don't care if I'm playing the same deck. I'm here for the story that the cards are going to tell. Yeah, I I agree that there's a lot in this game to bring you back to playing again and again. You have, if you're playing the whole trilogy, you have nine paths you have to get through. Now, Mm -hmm. each one of these paths has three different cards. So that gives you options because each time you choose one, you're going to choose one of those three and put it down. So if you go ABC, you play A first. So A1. Then the second card you put down, to see okay you've you've created a new timeline next time you play you play path 1b and do path 2a right there's another timeline you change your point is you're never going to see the same nine in a row for your paths it's right you know it's plus then also the one third chance and one third of that then one third of that then one third yeah and times nine you know to the what ninth 
come what do they call that an exponent yes yeah thank you josh all right but, uh, like because, and then the uh, battlefields are going to be the same way because you're just randomly taking that out of the out of your stack of cards i think there's eight battlefields i don't have the rule book right in front and they of have me. a triggered ability whenever they enter Yes. So that's going to affect things as well, too. So you've got a lot of things to bring you back. As far as variability, I mean, you are playing the same type of game. But as far as what the game board in quotes looks like, it's going to change each time you play that. Much the same for me. Uh, Not a whole lot of variables at play. I do think it's a game that feels like you can get better at. You know, once you become more familiar with the cards and, you know, when to pop that big event, when when you play an event, it's gone. So do you play it early? Do you play it late? Do you, do you play Gandalf to Rivendell? That sort of thing. Um, you can change no. how you play. <laughs> There's your pro tip. Everyone just leveled up. I, I do feel like it's the kind of game uh, much. I know it's, it's very different than like a Twilight Struggle. But Twilight Struggle is a game that uh, the more you play, the better you can become at it, the more familiar you are with what were originally unfamiliar situations. Uh, And I think that it's got replayability in that skill game where you can improve your skill at it. If that's intriguing, that's what's going to keep you coming back. Let's move to bit number seven, boys, the downsides. Josh. So I will say, I think that the biggest downside I said was that People who are familiar with the Lord of the Rings story and familiar with the arc of the entire trilogy are going to have a slight advantage in this game because they'll have a premature understanding of how and when maybe some of the cards are going to get played. I do We're think the game- probably going to be at Minas Tirith in round seven or eight. Yeah, and like I said- That sort of thing. You don't play Gandalf from Rivendell. You play Gandalf the Grey at the Mines of Moria. If you don't like that, hey, there is a- optimal way to play and when to play these cards you it may not be the game for you and if you don't like the lord of the rings story or theme the card play i believe is interesting enough but it's not going to be nearly as entrancing or as immersive as some maybe other card games that kind of do the same thing in a much shorter amount of time in a much shorter amount of time but that's the only downside i really have about the game yeah, uh, mine is, I understand that you want to keep the game choices monumental, but always losing cards that you attack with, that's a bitter pill to swallow. Yeah, it makes it for a more epic type of game that you're playing, but someone that isn't used to an epic feel of a game, that can be something there whenever they play it. Like, I'm playing one of the Nazgul. Oh, okay, they're gone for the rest of the game. What? And it Mm -hmm. it can be such a a disappointing thing there that they're planning on this big experience and their favorite character is gone now for the rest of the game. It's that's one of those downsides, not necessarily for me, but some people could look at that and see that as a very negative part of the game. Scott, you got emotionally attached to the cards. That's the problem. Hey, hey, don't mock me. (laughs) Um, I think if I was to identify a downside, I align a little bit more with Josh in that like you kind of got to know the story. You got to like Lord of the Rings. I don't think that this is a very complex – I don't want to say it's not a robust game because it has those brilliant, clever moments. It has those like, oh, did I get there? Like it has exciting edge of seat moments. 
But there are also moments where it's like, okay, you have three to my one. I'm not even going to bother playing there. Like there are some, there are some easy to draw conclusions uh, throughout play that make it slightly less exciting that are buoyed when you get to play a card that says, oh, you can cycle this to go find Strider from your deck. And it's like, oh, ooh, and I'm just still doing a thing. And I love Lord of the Rings, so that feels thematic. You know what I mean? Like when where there are portions where the gameplay might feel simple or might not be as engaging or exciting that is buoyed by your love of the story and the cards and the artwork and and you know some of the theme that's dripping from this uh if you're not keen on lord of the rings yeah, this is probably you know probably going to be a pass i i, I would even yeah, suggest yeah. which brings me to bit number 8 was it fun and who's it for explorer that's I'm, you, I'm Josh. Gonna, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's me. Sorry. So I will say this has a strong contention of not only being my favorite board game, but my favorite game of all time. Wow. As far as was it fun? So my, my favorite game is Alice is Missing, an RPG I've covered here before. My favorite mm-hmm. board game is Fear of Dracula. If I give myself a couple more plays of this game, I have a, like a strong feeling that this was going to take it over. Okay. Only because I think it appeals to gamers like me. First, people who like Lord of the Rings. That's that's just of a course. Given. Secondly, though, if you like games that will give you a story to tell each time you play it, I think this could not do the job better. And I'm a big story guy in games. I like when games give you table experiences, stories to tell. Like I have one. Don't put Gandalf in Rivendell. Like that's an inside <laughs> joke now between me and the group. And now you guys know it. That is a sign of a great game. It has one of my favorite mechanisms in it, which is play a card, like discard a card to play a card that like Marvel Champions has and some of the other living card games. I really enjoy that mechanism as well. I believe yeah, this game is fun. I think you'll have fun with this game no matter who you are. But I believe you will especially have fun if you like Lord of the Rings. You enjoy crunchy, very, like I said, heartbreaking hand management decisions, but also enjoy a game that unfolds a story that's going to be familiar but unique each time you play it. It's like cereal. Cereal pretty much tastes the same, but everyone has their favorites. And that's why we keep eating it. <laughs> I love it. You're fired from analogies. Scott, was it fun? Was and who's it for? <laughs> Okay, yes, it was fun. I'm a a big fan of the Fantasy Flight or Lord of the Rings LCG. So this one was definitely on my radar. I looked at the box and I felt the box and it's like, wow, this is really pretty light. And then Josh had to go and post on there saying, yeah, it's really awesome. And me with Mr. No Willpower had to go out and pick it up. Boy, am I glad I did. That day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I was so glad I did. And yes, This is definitely for a lover of the Lord of the Rings saga. Beautiful artwork, playing out the encounters from the novels. It's a great, great game. Yeah, it's it's a wonderful game. Was it fun? Yes, this game's a lot of fun. There's a lot going on. If you love Lord of the Rings, you're going to love it. That's uh, as we said, kind of the given. Who's it for? Uh, I'm going to give. Uh, I'm going to give both sides of this coin. Uh, the game is not that difficult to understand and play. So if you want to play out the story, you want to play a game that you're going to come back to and improve at. You're going to really sink your teeth into this. If you're looking for complexity and and just a, a, an absurd amount of depth and cascading actions, it's not here. 
it's very it's very straightforward unique cards are very unique. like Glamdream can only go with gandalf and it's in my hand okay i know how to make that decision and and i what do i hold on to shadow facts like there are decisions to be made but that doesn't mean that you have to be calculative in your decisions the actual math of the game and and what's happening mechanically the the we'll say the levers that you're pulling are very easy to pull. So if you have someone, uh, say a spouse that is a casual board gamer, but they love Lord of the Rings, mm, they're not going to like, we've all tried to introduce someone like that to a game like War of the Ring and they check out during the rules teach. This isn't going to do that. They're going to be able to get through that rules teach and I think they're going to enjoy that. And I think you will too. War of the Ring, the card game. During the Dragon invasion of Nalos, King Terran's loyal soldiers throw captured minions into Kubak Prison, where enchanted gates and construct guards make escape all but impossible. Once each year, Terran releases the toughest gang of war prisoners into the Royal Coliseum. Well, one year ago today, we had the opportunity to review Lockup, a role-player tale. Let's start here. Josh, have you played this one? I have not played this one, so I'm not okay, going to have a so lot to say about it yet. Excellent. <laughs> Scott, one year ago today, we did lock up a role player tale, and I know that you had this back out at one of the meetups. You had a chance to to show someone, I think when we were doing the SCG game day, it's one that I think by the end of last year, we both decided was a little under the radar, maybe a little underrated, a little more clever than it got credit for. Oh, most definitely. Yeah, this is one that haunts me on my uh, game shelf. It just sits there looking at me. You want to get me back, don't you? Yeah, I want to get it back to the table because, yes, it is a lot more fun. It it did get lost in, I think that was right around the time Arnak came out, Dune Imperium, all those games came out, and it just got overshadowed. And the the lack of this being played and people seeing it being played isn't the fact that it's not a good game. It's just the fact that it came out at a time that so many other big games came out. This one here, I still think is so much fun to play. Whenever you say you have to hit the yard and build up your uh, muscles and everything, it's hysterical little things you can do and talking about different things that you're playing in this game. Very simple to pick up. This is another one of those palate cleanser things where you can play it. It doesn't get weighed down by a lot of rules or anything. Have a good time laughing while you're playing. You got enough decisions to make in that like hour, hour and 10 minute time frame that, you know, it's robust for what it is. It's not trying yes. to be that that flagship game for your game day. It's trying to be one of those like this one we can play also. And mm-hmm. it does a great job of that. Be it kind of a, we'll say a forgotten game. And I think to us, maybe a little bit of a hidden gem. Oh, yeah. Oh, most definitely. I, I agree wholeheartedly on that. That's it for our look back. I believe so, as I just kicked my cat by accident. Don't kick the cat. I know. One of the most popular games in the hobby, and the oldest in the BGG Top 100, is Crokinole. And at Level Up, we're big fans. Oh, yeah. Most of our meetups have a Crokinole board set up and ready for action. Our choice for anything and everything Crokinole is Brown Castle Games. Brown Castle is a family-owned company that produces boards of unmatched quality. With a circular frame, a variety of hardware veneer playing surfaces, and a professional edge banding, 
Let me tell you, these boards stand out. Oh, no doubt, Scott. And along with your board, Brown Castle has the best crokinole accessories I have ever seen. The discs, the holders, the carrying case, they make the best. Yes, they do. Adventurers, you know our style. When we partner with someone, it's to get savings for you. Exclusively mm -hmm. for adventurers, get 5% off anything and everything from Brown Castle Games. The boards, cases, accessories, you name it. Get 5% off with promo code LEVEL5. L-E-V-E-L, -E -E the number 5, all caps, no spaces. Find it all at www.browncastlegames.com. All right, gentlemen, we got a little bit of time left together for episode 96. We wanted to revisit the Golden Geek Awards because I put up a Facebook post about, you know, hey, I want to hear what do you guys think deserve to get some recognition that didn't? What were the snubs? What were the things that you thought were, oh, this is a lock to win? And it didn't. So I thought, you know, let's just let's just revisit these and maybe mention a game or two that we thought, you know what, that could have been in there or what the heck is this thing doing in there? Let's start here, guys. We have the winner of the two-player game, Splendor Duel, the runners-up, Wingspan Asia, and Undaunted Stalingrad. Now, I know that whenever we were pitching the idea of doing this as a discussion, it felt like, man, we're going to be rehashing a lot of the same things. But no, we all decided we had a, we had a bit to say. Josh, what do you think? Winner, Splendor Duel, runner-up, Wingspan Asia. Is there something that you would take out or something you think might belong in that conversation? I take out all of them. All Only of them. All of them. Not because they're bad games. But because I think the Golden Geeks should recognize games that are not either spinoffs or sequels to current or even expansions Wingspan Asia to current like existing games. Something things like Beer and Bread or Boop, I think are the ones that should be recognized. I mean, that's just my personal opinion, because I want games that aren't writing off the name of other games to come to the forefront. I honestly wanted Boop to win because I thought Boop was just fantastic in every way, shape, and form. <laughs> yeah, 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 you do enjoy. You like booping. I love booping. I like booping some boops at cats and stuff like that. But <laughs> you know, I mean, like I'm, I'm sure Splendor Duel, Wingspan Asia, and Undaunted are all great and amazing games. I just want to see you know some more originality. You know what? I would remove Wingspan Asia, uh, and I understand your concept there for Splendor, uh, for Splendor Duel, because it's the dual version of a bigger game that could have been played with two people. Splendor's uh, and, fine at two as it is. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> all right. And, and Undaunted is just another setting with s some slight changes to an already existing game. Wingspan Asia introduced a means of being able to play two player. And also I think they introduced like flock, which is a way that you can play with six or seven or some absurd number of players. Uh, other than that, it's like it added 30 cards and you know what much as you know, I, we love Stonemaier around here. I, I love just about every game that they do. And, and Jamie's been very kind with us. But to me, Wingspan Asia felt like eh, it's kind of riding on the name. I agree. I thought beer and bread would be a, a good one. Ryan and I've been playing a bit of Caper Europe. And I thought Caper Europe was great at two. And um, Caesar made the Caesar Caesar's room in 20 minutes. And yeah, it's kind of like Blitzkrieg. But you know what? It's not like Blitzkrieg. It's a very different game. And uh, and I thought that one was fantastic. Just fantastic for two players. And I was surprised that uh, it didn't make one of the finalist spots there. Any changes you'd make, Scott? Actually, I was I only came up with a few of them for different ones. Best two player game, I didn't have anything to really say there. Well, fair enough. Then we can move it right on to artwork. 
and presentation, where the winner, of course, was Flamecraft, Runners-Up, Everdell Complete, and Wonderland's War. Same order? Do we just want to do Josh, uh, Josh, me, Scott? Sounds good. Okay, go ahead, Josh. I have no problem with this one. Like I said, as far as 2023, sorry, 2022 games, I think this is right. I mean, I'm not saying this is all about artwork and how the game is presented out. Flamecraft did a really good job. In fact, I think its entire popularity and success kind of rode on yep. how great the production was. 100%. I yep. kind of like, you know, it's, it's, I kind of like how Everdell didn't win. As much as I enjoy Andrew Bosley's art and Everdell is fantastic artwork, it's good to see some new blood coming into the mix. Yeah, because it's an existing game. Yeah. Right? Like you say, come on, don't you can't take old games and give them another crack at winning. And I think the one that definitely got overlooked was okay, I'm sorry, Josh, Lacrimosa. Mm. That one there, I think, was absolutely beautiful. I think the design of the cards, choosing what side you want to put it in, sliding it into your music book. So many things were wonderful about that. The artwork I absolutely adored. I think that was one that was definitely overlooked. How about this? This isn't a competition about value. It's just about which one looks the best. So how come Foundations of Rome didn't make the top three? Mm, That's a good point. That thing looks gorgeous. Yes. Yes, it does. Cooperative game. The winner was Return to Dark Tower, followed by Oathsworn and ISS Vanguard. Any changes here, Josh? I actually like this lineup a lot. I really do. You know, Return to Dark Tower, it's a remake of the old game, but there's so much of it different enough that I think it's okay. And having Oathstorn as a runner-up, I think that's a great runner-up. And ISS Van, these are all just really good runner-up games. Mm-hmm. Um, not my favorite games. I prefer more light cooperative games. But in this aspect, I have no complaints about what's on here. I'm pretty Likewise. much the same. Yeah, nothing no really changed there. No, we're on exciting on that one. Then let's go with expansion where we saw Dune Immortality, Dune Rise of Ix, and we also have Wingspan Asia on there. Any changes you guys would make? Okay. What kind of – this makes me – they put two expansions of the same game on it. That, they're that not actually, allowed to both be good? No, they're not. They're not allowed to both be good. <laughs> I, I think there needs to be – I just think that is – unfair in lots of ways just because you have two great expansions i think the game should only have one represented there that's just a that's just my own opinion obviously is an nfl team allowed to have the best quarterback and the best like the offensive and defensive player of the year if they legitimately are is there pal fair enough fair enough fair enough it's it's like to me it's like it's 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 like a actor being nominated for best actor for playing twins in a movie, in my opinion. Okay. <laughs> okay. I nothing against Dune Imperium, and I still need to play this one. I want to play this one. <laughs> Wait, you haven't played Dune Imperium? I have not played Dune Imperium yet. Well, you We're going to do Gen it at Con. Origins. Uh, I, yeah, yeah, Origins. I'm looking forward to it. I really am. Yes. I have more time to play games. Now, I have no problem with it winning. I just wish there wasn't two of them. Wingspan Asia being here, this is where it belongs, I believe. Yes. You think? Oh, yeah. Okay. Because it has two different ways to play. Fair enough. Uh, Hey, I love me my Dune Imperium, and I don't think that they really added that much to the game to really change it drastically. So the one I think that was definitely overlooked, and this one I think adds a lot to it, is Marvel Champions Mutant Genesis. 
Okay. Just because it adds so much more to the game. Each time that they add something, a character to it, a villain to it, they really do a lot to change everything. And hey, I finally got Cyclops I can play with. So I am thrilled to death. But yeah, I think that Marvel Champions Mutant Genesis was definitely overlooked. I think the Sinister uh, Motives was on there. I did enjoy that, but it didn't have Cyclops. So poo on that one. You know what? I thought you were going to steal my thunder. Star Wars Outer Rim Unfinished Business belongs in the top three. If if not the win, it at least belongs in the top three. That is true because, yes, it's it does so much to make the game better. It expands on it so much more. Yeah, it's it's definitely a great addition. And I don't think I could play the regular one without this now. Let's talk innovative, where we saw the winner was Cat in the Box Deluxe Edition, followed by Turing Machine and Heat, Pedal to the Metal. I know what I would change. What do you think, Josh? So as far as innovative, I don't think Cat in the Box should have won. It's just a really good trick-taking game that adds some new things. Great, yeah. Being nominated, totally fine. Turing Machine, which got the runner-up, is a cardboard engineering marvel. Okay. And... It coming behind just a clever mechanism, not fair. I mean, this this is legitly just like, hey, no, we've spent this whole time making this really cool and thematic piece of cardboard for you to play, and it is fantastic to look at. It is doing something no board game's doing, but this game over here that's a trick-taking with some cool little twist on it wins. That's To me, that's just... I, I just don't agree with that. I think even it's aiming a run up was overlooked for that. I could see those two flip flopping. The one that gets me is Heat is not an innovative game. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, it's it's great it's game. It's but, fun. Yeah. The problem is a lot of people have played it and loved it, so they just clicked Heat. The other part of the problem is if you look over innovative, uh, maybe ISS Vanguard could have gotten on there. What with the the cards on the pages and whatnot, and the way that that one's played. Deal with the devil with the little chests that you're scanning the QR code, like. Okay, but other than that, there's not a lot of innovation in the list of things that were up uh, in the list of nominations. There wasn't a lot of innovation to begin with. Yeah, it's, it felt like more like what's the most clever mechanism, except for Touring Machine, in my opinion. I do agree that with Cat in a Box, yeah, it's kind of like putting a fresh coat of paint on the same old car. So yeah, I th- I'm in Touring Machine, just recently, I've been looking more and more into that. And I'm intrigued. I got to give that one a try. Light game of the year. Winner was Cat in the Box Deluxe. Runner-up Splendor Duel. Runner-up Long Shot the Dice Game. I'm going to take the floor because I'm sorry. Guild of Merchant Explorers belongs on there. That game's fantastic. <laughs> I think Long Shot the Dice Game is better than the other two on there. I just, th- this one, this one kind of blew my mind a little bit. I agree with you, Patrick. I, I have nothing more to add to it. That's this. <laughs> Cat in, the, Cat in the Box is getting way more hype. It got way more hype from a couple of key reviewers, and I think that's what's taken it home. And I, I enjoy Cat game. in the Box. Yeah, it's a great, it's a good game, but yeah, I, it's riding off popularity. A light game that I think was overlooked was Garten Bow. This one is absolutely gorgeous. The artwork and everything is beautiful. Very mm-hmm. simple. You plant plants, and those plants will then grow into bigger plants. You then grow those into bigger plants. You get points by it. Very simple to play, very beautiful. So I think that was one that was definitely overlooked. Our medium game winner was Heat Pedal to the Metal, runners-up Wonderland's War and Flamecraft. I can't really argue with any of those. 
personally, I, I'd probably bump Flamecraft down and bump something else in. But, you know, I, I, no, no qualms with it being there. Here, here. I feel Merchants of the Dark Road would have been a good place in there as well, too. I thoroughly enjoy it. I know a lot of people don't, but that was one there that scratched an itch for me for that type of game. So I really enjoyed that one. Heavy Games, Carnegie, Paleo-Americans, and John Company, second edition. Uh, I've, I haven't played too many of these heavy games, but I did play Endless Winter Paleo-Americans. I did thoroughly enjoy <laughs> it. I don't know if it, based on what people tell me, belongs into the heaviness that some of these other games are bringing. I actually probably put it more towards the medium. It's definitely not as heavy as Carnegie, and none yeah. of the games that were nominated are anywhere near as heavy as John Company. Yeah, it, yeah, to me, it felt like a little bit more of the lighter games got more attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt that uh, Carnegie fit in there very, very well because there is so much going on in that game and it's still really enjoyable. Yeah, you can get kind of bogged down with a lot of the rules, but still, it's really a lot of fun. Party game winner, Ready, Set, Bet, followed by Long Shot the Dice Game and Blood on the Clock Tower. I don't think I'd change any of those. No. Uh, I take blowing the clock tower out. Yeah, you like uh, you like your fun facts. Yeah, <laughs> is that it? Really? Is it because no. is it for fun facts? It's because I don't like blowing the clock tower. But we'll get to that later. I think. Okay. <laughs> Any switches in print and play or solo game? Nothing for me. No. No, I think it's okay. Okay, here's the doozy. Here's the one that I think we all wanted to tackle. Thematic games. The runners up were Wonderland's War. Okay, you know, good artwork, and, and it captures some of the the feel, the charm of the, the of the film, and the characters do what you might expect. John Company Second Edition, uh, I, I, <laughs> I, I guess families uh, vying for like wealth uh, using the East India Company. Okay, I'm sure it's thematic. Winner, Heat Pedal to the Metal. Uh, what absolute horse crap! Yeah. Oh my god. So I was thinking about it, and the best way that I can put it is this. You would have to try to make a racing game not feel thematic. It, there. <laughs> I, I, I can name three, literally going in a list, like someone doesn't like Blood in the Clock Tower. Blood in the Clock Tower feels more thematic than Heat, and I like Heat. Frostpunk, Nemesis Lockdown, Return to Dark Tower. We just talked about War of the Ring, the card game, should have Absolutely. won, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I could see it winning. Mm-hmm. Wonderland's War is very thematic. It, it <sighs> Oof. Oof. Gamers. Come on. It's an outcry. It's an outcry. So so what happens? Let's just get this out of the way. What happens is people tend to vote for what they've played, right? And more people have played uh, Heat, for example, than, than I don't know, Oathsworn, because Oathsworn's expensive. Or people that get in there and vote. Uh, I think that's what it comes down to often. Cat in the Box is, is a $25 game that plays four at a time, and most people have played. Most people that, that are on Board Game Geek and would take the time to vote have played. That's why we see things like that. And I think that's why we see Heat winning most thematic. Get that out of my face. (laughs) Well, my most thematic, I think, was my father's work. You have your mad scientist trying to do the work of your ancestors, but then you have these, like your Igors that are helping you out, but they can only do things inside your castle because if they go outside, well, people are going to be like shocked and disgusted by you. So you can't go outside the castle. You have to stay inside and do everything. But then your 
spouse can go out and do things. So you can go out and do that and get bring stuff in. There's so many things that go on with this game and the bits and everything are so cool and so thematic with this. I think my father's work was definitely overlooked for this game. Hey guys, it rounds out with War Game Podcast and Board Game App, and I don't think I have anything I would change with the, well, I would change best podcast to us quite clearly, but uh, <laughs> other than that, the War Game, the app, you know, no comment. Yeah. Yeah, I, I got nothing really to add to that one there. Okay, so let's share a couple things that we from this Facebook post. We always like to talk a little bit about what the community has to say. Olivia commented saying, Blood on the Clock Tower. Blood on the Clock Tower should have won more. And coincidentally, uh, one of the shows I listened to, it's uh, Luke Hector's Broken Meeple podcast. He's He said, you know, one of the saving graces, one of the only things that they got right on these awards is that Blood on the Clock Tower didn't win anything. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> that was kind of funny. It is, it is so overrated. So overrated. Gustav, he's that Frostpunk. Guess not enough people are playing it, really. You know, we've been saying for two months, Scott, we're going to get to that. I had you over today and we didn't get oh, to Oh, I that. know, I know. Well, we had other things to get in, in the way. So Chris Barrow says Spots should have been nominated. And Spots is a game that's getting a lot of traction. It's a light little push or look dice game. I think he's not too far off. I, I am really fascinated by this one. That's on Board Game Arena, too, now. We can play that one together as well. It's a quick one. We, we totally should. It's getting to the late. It's getting a little dark out. It's time for us to go to bed. So how we've leveled up since last time we were together. Me personally, my whole thing here is I got to wait. Did I talk about a wedding last time? Wait, shouldn't you let the guest go first? No, 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 no. It's about me. I'm the king. Oh, okay. Uh, fair enough. So last time, since last time we recorded, I was able to officiate a wedding and I got to say, that is one of the greatest things there because you see the full the full gamut of emotions from sadness of losing your son or losing your daughter to their loved one. You see the tears of joy of seeing the bride as they come down the first time. And it's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this. You see the smiles of joy as you see them, people coming together wonderful wonderful to be able to be part of that and see those things happen so that's how i leveled up since last time josh so i am very excited because we had just passed a thousand downloads on tabletop submarine nice. so it's you know it's a good landmark it's for the pace we're at i think we're at a really good pace in how we're growing and because of this we are launching two new shows on our our podcast stream we're having a show that's all about kickstarter previews and interviewing people who are running Kickstarters to like go a little bit deeper into what it's about, like 10 mm-hmm. minute, 15 to 20 minute episodes. And then we're going to start doing reviews every once in a while, just whenever we feel like it. So it feels good to be kind of following your guys' footsteps about, you know, a successful podcast that people like to listen to. And we're, we're starting to just make steps towards that. And it feels really good. Congratulations on the yeah, milestone. Definitely. Yeah. Guys, my level up is actually, uh, th- this is one of those rare, I'm going to give my level up to someone else. <clears throat> the Four Horsemen, where we had our last meetup, they had their their flea market day. And I had a message from this dude that, uh, dude named Dan. And he said, you know what, whatever I don't sell, I know, you know, anytime I post a list on like Facebook Marketplace, I always put it at the top of it, hey, all funds help us to make the Level Up Board Game podcast. So, you know, thank you in advance. And then I list the games that I have for sale. And it's kind of cool because sometimes people throw a couple extra bucks or, hey, 
hey, you know, I'm listening to this show. You got, you know, this is pretty cool. You know, I'm going to share this with my friends. So it's like uh, sneaky advertising, but in truth, it does help fund the show because we have things like the email inboxes that, uh, that, that cost money, the annual fee for the website, the podcast hosting. It's not a lot, but it does help to keep the hobby manageable and, and not profitable, but free. You know what I mean? It's not mm-hmm. costing us money to do this. It's costing us time, but whatever. So this dude, Dan's like, you know what? what uh, we're having this flea market day out at Four Horsemen. Uh, it's a board game flea market. Uh, anything that doesn't sell, you just, you, I'll, you come over, you can pick it up. You can have it for the show, donate. And I was like, man, I don't know what to expect. This could be a bunch of copies of Cranium. This could be Scrabble and Cards Against Humanity and Munchkin. Uh, I have no idea what to expect. So I, I drove out there today before recording. I got back like two hours before we recorded and I filled the, the Subaru, filled it with games. <laughs> I, I think he must have donated 80 or 100 and there's some goodies in there. So uh, that's, that is really going to help us to, uh, to, to cover some of our charges. And it, it goes beyond just the, the website fees and whatnot. Uh, you know, we do a lot of drinking. <laughs> <laughs> Nah, in all seriousness, uh, uh, level up for Dan. Thank you so much uh, from Scott and I both. We do appreciate it. Hey, adventurers, if you haven't had the chance, check out the board game binge. Scott and I had a chance to appear on there with James and we got to chat a bit about uh, the inception of the podcast and some of the things that go on behind the scenes. They got a really fun show. That's the board game binge. And if you're not already Explorer, Josh is a co-host with Andrew on the Tabletop Submarine podcast. It focuses on the storytelling from game from publishers, from designers, you know, some of those look back memories that we have of gaming. It shows all about people being able to share in those experiences. That's Tabletop Submarine. We want to have you back in a couple weeks. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. King, you get the last word. All right. The past is history. The future is a mystery. But today is a gift because it's the present. Thank you, adventurers, for joining us for this episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. That's where you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes and the Heatley Brothers. And remember, whether in hobby or in life, always do what you can to level up.